you have your Bibles, you can turn to Romans chapter 6. If you don't have your Bibles, uh, the scripture is printed in the bulletin. Let's see here, they're just on page 2. There's a place to take notes for us on page 3. We're going to be reading Romans 6 and then uh, 1 John 1 verses 8 and 9. So listen, this is God's word. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united to him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? Either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Then First John 1, 8 and 9. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is God's Word. Well, today is is Independence Day. This is the day when we celebrate the day that the founders of our country declared their freedom from what had become the tyrannical rule of Great Britain. And the Declaration of Independence, that's the document that announced to the world, announced to the world that things are going to be different. God does the exact same thing for us every single week when we gather for worship. He declares our freedom from the guilt and the power of sin through Jesus Christ, our Savior, who was crucified, died, and then was raised from the dead for us. This is the declaration that God declares. He declares our independence from sin. And this happens every week, most clearly in the cleansing stage of our worship service. Okay, and so that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. Uh, as you see there down on the bottom on page 2, you can see the five stages of covenant renewal worship. We're going to be looking at that cleansing stage today, talking about what we do and why we do it. 
when God declares our independence from sin, He's saying that we have been set free from our sin, from our past, and from the things that fill us with doubt, with fear, from broken relationships. And God's cleansing works in two main ways. Okay, there's two main ways that I want you in your minds to think about His cleansing work. Um, and let me tell you a story to illustrate this. Uh, this week, Jamie and I went on a hike. Jamie's my 12-year-old daughter. We went on a hike, and this was the first day of July, and so June gloom was over, the sun was out, and it was hot. Okay, we went hiking, it was hot, and I had one of you know, those camel packs... You know, basically it's just a giant water bottle in a backpack with a three-foot straw. So you don't have to, you can just drink right from your back. And, you know, for her, I can just hand her the straw and she drinks. You know, it's a great thing, right? And so we're using this camel pack. And at one point, she was complaining about how hot it was. And, uh, and so I took off the camel pack and held it up in the air. And then took the straw and, and used it like a shower over her, you know. And so she took her hat off. I put it on her hair. And you know what that's like, right? When it's hot. When it's really, really, really hot, you're sweaty, maybe you're a little dusty, and you kind of feel, you feel that there's something on your head when it starts to drip, but you don't feel the coolness yet because it's still in your hair, and then it begins to drip down, and it comes down over your head, and just that refreshing, that, that freeing, that, that sense of, ooh, you know I mean? And so we were enjoying that, and it was funny because toward the end of our hike, as we were getting back near the car, Jamie said, hey, Daddy, I want some water. And I just said, oh, okay, do you want it on you or in you? You know, I didn't even think about it. But then I said it, and, and then I thought, wait a second, on you or in you? And then it hit me. That's how the gospel works. I mean, back with the water, you know, the water, if you pour it over yourself, you have this incredible sense of coolness and refreshing, this cleansing, like wiping away the dirt. But if you drink the water, it's also wonderful, right? It does something else. It refreshes you on the inside. It gives you strength, right? It, it, it cures that parchedness. And it changes you from the inside. Like one changes you from the outside, the other changes you from the inside. And I just thought, that is the gospel, the gospel works the exact same way. And so I want to ask you as we start tonight, in terms of looking at the scriptures, do you want Christ on you or in you? Think about that. I mean, the good news is that you get both. You get both. God's cleansing. When we rehearse the cleansing phase of our worship service, He gives us both. As He declares our freedom from sin... He gives us Jesus in both ways. And so this is what we're going to see today. We're going to see how God works both on us and in us uh, in three points. So if you want to take notes, here the, here, here's the outline for you. We're going to see first that God cleanses us once through baptism. Second point, God cleanses us daily through confession. And then third, God cleanses us weekly through worship. Okay, so once through baptism, daily through confession, and then weekly through worship. So our first point, God cleanses us once through baptism. This is the Romans 6 passage. It's interesting. Um, baptism shows us what God does when you believe in Jesus. Okay? That's what Romans 6 is showing us. And so baptism doesn't save us, but baptism preaches to us. And shows us what God does when He saves us. 
Okay, you think about it. The water is poured out over you. We scoop water up and we pour it over the person who's being baptized. And it's symbolic of the washing away of our sins. Right? It's Jesus on you. The Bible teaches that when we believe in Him, His blood cleanses us from all sins. Our sins are washed away in the blood of Jesus. And so that leaves us forgiven. We end up forgiven of our sins. We end up cleansed and then accepted in God's sight. Okay, Isaiah 61.10 has this amazing picture of this. It says, that, it says, God has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with a robe of righteousness. And so it's amazing, this picture where we are washed with the blood of Jesus, and then God wraps us up with the perfection of Jesus. So He accepts us as though we are as perfect as Jesus. So our relationship with Him is not based on what we do, it's based on His cleansing work on us. Okay, that's the picture of Jesus on us. He covers us. Well, baptism also preaches Jesus in us. Preaches in us. These verses in Romans 6, they push us to think about two parts of who we are. Okay? The old self and the new self. Okay, look at verse 6. Paul talks about our old self. In uh, verse 4, at the end, he says, we walk in newness of life. There's an old self and a new self. Now, who are these selves? Um, well, the old self is who you are without Jesus. Okay? Pretty simple. Who you are without Jesus. The new self is who you are with Jesus. <laughs> Pretty simple. Now, the old self, Paul describes in this passage a little bit, but he also explains a lot more about the old self in, uh, in chapter 5. The old self is enslaved to sin. If you look at verse 6, he says at the end, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Verse 9 says that sin and death reign over the old self. You know, Christ being raised from the dead never dies again. It says death no longer has dominion over him. The implication is that for our old self, death has dominion over us. So sin and death rule over our old self. Okay? Now, the new self is the opposite. The new self is raised with Christ. Verse 4, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Okay, verse 7 says that the new self is set free from sin. And so our new self, that's the part of us that loves God, that loves to do what's right, that hates even the thought of hurting somebody else, that even hates the selfishness that sometimes characterizes our lives and tries to flee from it. Okay, so you have a, a, an old self that really buys in to sin, that really desires sin, that really has sin and death reigning over them and is not really that displeased about it. The old self is... I mean, you, know, you think about the picture in the, in the movies, right? You've got the angel on one side, the devil on the other. I mean, that's what Paul's talking about here. There's an old self and a new self that are just part of us. And you all understand that, right? I mean, if you're human, you recognize that sometimes it feels like there's a war, whether you're a Christian or not. It feels like there's a war between these two parts of you and different times, different selves win. 
So what is it that causes the transfer? Okay, if your old self is over here in love with sin, really pursuing selfishness and your own way, and the new self is over here loving God and wanting to do what's right, wanting to reach out, serve, love other people, what's, what's the difference? How do you get from one to the other? Paul says in this passage, it's our baptism. Baptism is the transfer. Look what he says in verse 3. Do you not know? And I love it when Paul says this because that just implies, duh, that you should know this. But every time Paul uses this phrase, do you not know? I didn't know it. (laughs) I had no idea. Really? Okay, thanks, Paul. So if you're like me, don't feel bad. Um, But he says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Paul says that when Jesus died, we join him in his death. Verse 5. We were united with him in a death like his. And then also we are then united with him in a resurrection like his. And so our baptism pictures us being connected to the death of Jesus. And if we're connected to him in his death, then really what what happens is whatever is true of Jesus is then true of us. If Jesus stayed in the ground, we would stay in the ground, but he didn't. And so if he is raised from the dead, Paul says that we also are raised from the dead. So bottom line, what does that mean? Verse 6 tells us. Verse 6 says, We know that our old self, okay, this person over here, the old self, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. That's amazing. That is truly amazing. Your old self... This part of who you are, you know, when you're acting like this, Paul's saying this part of who you are was crucified with Jesus. Notice that he doesn't say that your old self ought to be crucified with Jesus. Okay, this isn't Paul putting the onus on you to kill your old self. Okay? Not at this point. Paul's saying that we know that our old self was crucified. It's a passive verb, which means it happens to you. This is good news. This is not law. This is not a command. This is a truth. Verse 6. It's indicative. Okay? It's not imperative. It's not saying you ought to have your old self die. It's saying your old self died. Was crucified with Christ. That's good news. Did you know that? Did you know that that old self is dead? Did you know that the old self, when you believed in Jesus, in his death and his resurrection, that when you believed in his death, your old self died with Jesus on the cross? And that as Jesus was raised from the dead, what came out of the grave with him was your new self. That's good news. And this is what baptism preaches to you. It is your declaration of independence from sin. I read the Declaration of Independence this week. I don't know that I've ever done that before. Um, 
this was a fascinating passage from it. Just a couple lines. It says this, When any form of government becomes destructive, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it and to institute a new government to affect their safety and happiness. That is so applicable with Romans 6. When any form of government becomes destructive, it's the right of the people to alter or abolish it. How do you feel living over here? Under the domain of sin and temptation, that selfish part of who you are, that part of you that no matter how hard you try, you just, you're really only interested in yourself. What's that like? I mean, do you enjoy that part of your life? In my opinion, living over here is living under a very, very destructive rule. Because, like, I'll be honest, you know, the, the, the rule of sin in my life, it promises me all kinds of things. It promises me pleasure, and yet the pleasure usually is not that good. I mean, it's good for a time, and then it's not as good as I thought it was going to be. And then when I'm done, the guilt that comes, you know, sin doesn't remind me of that when it's pushing for that, right? I mean, the rain over here promises me control. You know, I can control things if I go out from my way and manipulate situations to get my way and get angry if I don't get my way to get my way, right? I can get control. I can get other people to do what I want, but that's not a happy place either. Because the relationships that I leave in the wake, sometimes they never find out. But there's just that, that, ugh, you know, this is a destructive government to live under. And as far as the Declaration of Independence is concerned, if any form of government becomes destructive, it is your right to alter or abolish it. And so the invitation for us, if you're not a Christian, is to believe in Jesus. Because if you believe in Jesus, the government does change. Because the one that reigns over here is the one who gave his life for you. The one who lives over here is the one who is full of love and peace gentleness, kindness, boldness, and strength. And He promises to rule over you in a way that honestly, truly seeks your best, your most fulfilling life, your happiness. It doesn't mean everything works out for you over here. But when things don't work out, it's okay. It really is. That's what it's like to live over here. And so, if you're not a Christian, the invitation is to believe in Jesus. And then we'll baptize you, and you'll get to see the picture of what happens to you as you're transferred from the dominion of sin to the dominion of Jesus. If you're a Christian, then there are areas of your life that you're giving in to this rule and reign. And the answer for you is to remember your baptism. To remember that you have died that, that this person that you act like sometimes is dead. Is dead. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Because I know you're arguing with me in your, in your mind. I know, you, I know what you're thinking. And I'm going to tell you what you're thinking in just a minute. In just a minute. Um, this passage is telling us that we are set free in our baptism. We're set free when we believe in Jesus from this rule and reign. And we are brought under the joyful reign of Jesus. Now, look, I know that it's hard to believe this. Okay, I I do. I get it. 
Some of you are wired in a way that more readily believes this than others. Some of you read this and think, oh, I didn't know that. Hey, that's great. And you're already beginning to experience some of the reality of that. And others of you are, I know you're arguing with me, like, whatever. <laughs> some of you are cynical. And you're just, you, you read verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him. In order that we no longer be enslaved to sin. And you're thinking, yeah, right. This is that religious stuff that the Bible talks about, but really isn't true in my life. Others of you are saying, well, I wish that was true, but I don't see it. Others of you think, well, maybe in the future that'll be true. Maybe when Jesus comes back or at the end of my life, if I get to heaven, then I'll be that way. But it doesn't mean anything for me today. I think some people think, well, this is true for some, but not for everybody. And I'm one of those have-nots. I mean, we really do argue with the Scriptures sometimes. Uh, I think sometimes people think, you know, that's only true if I'm obedient enough to make it true. And they think, you know, God forgives me, but it's now up to me to live as this new person. And so I have to work my way out of this side and so that I can become this person over here. Right? And if you're a Christian, you probably struggle with forms of all of these things at different times in your life. This is just part of the deal. Um, how do we handle these challenges? I mean, for the people who don't know it, or for the people that just can't believe it, what's the answer? The answer is faith. Okay, it's faith, but not in the way that you're thinking. Okay, not simplistically, oh, you just got to have faith, because what the heck does that mean? Right, that's not helpful to say, oh, you just got to believe. The answer, though, is that you have to believe what this verse says. Okay? I'm not talking about just general faith in Jesus to make this true. You actually have to believe the truth of verse 6. Okay? Paul says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Do you believe that? Right now. Think about it. Do you believe that right now? You may be thinking, look, I have a lot of experience in my life. And based on my experience, my old self is not dead. Very much alive. Very much alive. I don't want to fool myself. I don't want to pretend like... I don't want to lie. My old self is very much alive. And I'm not talking about your experience. I'm asking you if, well, and I guess I understand that the point is, look, I want to believe, but my experience tells me something different, right? I don't feel dead to sin. What's interesting is that Paul tells us that this is what we have to do. Look at verse 11. Read verse 11. The conclusion of Paul's discussion of dying and rising with Jesus. Verse 11. So, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is Paul's answer. And what's weird, what's strange to me, might be strange to you, maybe not yet, but it will be here in a second. 
How in the world can Paul say verse 11 when he's already said verse 6? Okay, if the only thing that happens for you today is you go, you go away realizing that you have to wrestle with how to fit verses 6 and 11 together, then that's not a bad thing. That's going to be a good thing, good outcome here. Paul says, we know our old self was crucified with him. And then verse 11, so you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So the question is, Paul, if this already happened and we know it, why do we have to consider it to be true? You follow that? I mean, if it's just true, what's the deal? Like, why do we have to consider it? And the answer is, because our connection with Jesus is by faith. And so what Paul is saying in verse 11, he's saying, you actually have to believe this piece of truth for it to show up and be real in your life. Okay? When we talk about faith in Jesus, there are lots of things about Jesus that you can either believe or not. Okay? It seems like everybody understands that we need to believe in Jesus and His death on the cross for us. I think we do a really good job of believing in Christ on us, right? He washes us from our sins. He covers us with his perfection. And so we're accepted, we're accepted by God. Like, I think we understand that. But this passage in Romans 6 is calling you to believe that when Jesus died, you died with him. Okay? This is not a call to saving faith. This is a call to sanctifying faith. Okay? This is calling you to believe something that if you believe it and put it... If you consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God, you will become more like this new self. Okay? And so, one of the reasons... One of the reasons why so many of us end up looking like this so often after we trust Jesus is because we actually aren't practicing faith in what verse 6 says. Do you understand that? Does that make sense? This is good news, especially if you've never been aware of this dynamic before. Okay, this isn't the power of positive thinking. This isn't a mind game. This is what the Bible calls living by faith. Okay, you can either believe that you are dead to sin or believe that you are alive to sin. If you believe that you're alive to sin, when sin comes knocking, you will go with it. Okay? Because that's kind of how it works. Okay, what Paul is saying here, the dynamic that Paul is explaining here, is that when sin comes and tempts you, it's like it's knocking on your door. What it does is it says, when you answer, the temptation presents itself, it's saying, I'd, I'd like to take your old self out for a while. Is your old self available? That's what's happening. Temptation, sin, appeals to your old self. Because your new self hates it. Your new self doesn't want to do it, doesn't do it, runs from it, loves God so much, right? And so, temptation comes and says, I'm looking for your old self. Is he around? Is she around? And you have a choice at that moment. Are you going to believe verse 6 or not? Are you going to do what verse 11 says? Are you going to consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus?
So what this means, like the way you put this into practice, literally is you have to realize that your relationship with sin has been broken. Okay, your love for sin has been broken because you are new. So when temptation comes, okay, if you can see it coming, you need to say to yourself, you need to remember in whatever way is most helpful for you, you need to remember, wait a second, this sin is appealing to my old self. It's appealing to who I am apart from Jesus. But I'm not apart from Jesus. I am trusting in Him. And according to the Bible... It says, my old self is dead, and so I'm going to imagine. I mean, it's literally, it's like this. This is your old self. When sin comes, this is your old self. This is where he finds your old self. You know, he asks you, hey, can I take your old self out? And it's not, my old self is sleeping, right? Sorry, my old self can't come. My old self's taking a nap. No, my old self's dead. My old self doesn't live here anymore. When you feel the force of that, it gives you power. It gives you power because you're saying, wait a second, this is appealing to something that I used to be like. This is appealing to a part of me that, not according to anything but God's Word and it alone, it's dead, it's gone, it doesn't live here anymore. You've got to preach that to yourself with as much vehemence and force as you possibly can. That's how it becomes real in your life. And as you preach that verse, if you just memorize this verse and remember it, wait, wait, I know that my old self is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that I would no longer be enslaved to sin. You remind yourself of that. And if if that doesn't work, then you pray it. You say, God, this is what you say, but I don't feel this way. This is what you say, but I want to go. I want to do this. And I I hate the fact that I want to do this because I don't want... I know what that's like. I've been down that road and I don't want to go down that road. Lord, I need you to help me to be dead to sin. I'm trying to reckon myself dead to sin and it's not working. You need to help me. You need to help me. The other half of this is not just that the old self is dead, but there's another part of this that you've got to preach to yourself, is that you've been raised to walk in newness of life. That you have Jesus himself living in your heart. You don't just have Christ on you, you have Christ in you. And so you can say to yourself, not just, that's my old self and it's dead, it's dead, it's dead, it's dead, please let it be dead, please let it be dead, don't feel dead, it's really dead. You know, sometimes if you do that, you just, there's no, in circles, hamster wheel, nothing changes. If you add to that, and wait a second, I have been raised with Jesus. I have a new heart. In fact, the fact that I'm struggling about this right now is something that shows that it's new. Because I didn't used to struggle. It used to be that I was calling sin and going out with it and asking it to go out, right? But now I'm at least struggling here. That's a sign of new life. That's a sign that, 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 that I am in Jesus. That's, that's, that's a sign of newness. And wait a second. Like, I don't like that. I don't want to do that. I really want to love God. I want to follow Him. I want to do what's right. I, I love the feeling that I am walking with Jesus. Right? And as you begin to talk about that, and you remind yourself of that, you pray it, Lord, this is who I am. You know that I want to serve you. You know that I don't want to do this. God begins. Like, your desire to do that 
shrinks. Your desire to say no increases. Your desire to be the new self increases. And when you practice this, it becomes more and more a part of your life. And you see verse 6 come to life, literally in your life. That's exciting. Um, and it's, it takes practice. So I had a meeting this Friday. I was walking from the office downtown to the meeting, and I was standing at a street corner, and a thought occurred to me. And I thought, oh, I've got to write that down. And so I reached into my pocket to get my pen, and I couldn't find it. I'm like, that's weird. I thought I put my pen there. I reached in the back pocket, because that's sometimes where I put my pen. It wasn't there. Reached into this pocket, nothing. Thinking, oh, it's a drag. I mean, I guess it's not going to kill me not to have a pen, and hopefully I'll remember the idea. If it was really that good, I'll, you know, I will remember it. But then I was like, no, I really knew I had a pen. So I stick my hand in my pocket again. I'm feeling around. There's nothing. There's no pen. I feel my keys. I feel my wallet. There's no pen. I'm like, I know I took a pen. And then I check my ear, and it wasn't there, because I do that. Um, I check my back pocket again. I check my, my pen is gone. I don't know where the heck it is. So I'm kind of, dra- you know, uh, this is a great thought. You know, it's one of these things you really got to capture. So that's what, and then I put my hand in my pocket a third time, and I found my pen. It was there the whole time. Don't ask me how that happened. Don't ask me why it happened. I have no idea where it was those first two times. I looked really, really hard. But the, it, took, it took the third time for me to actually find my pen, right? So I wrote down my thought, kept walking. It was great. Well, preaching the gospel to yourself this way... Sometimes you try it the first time and you don't get anything. Okay? I just want to set your expectations. Sometimes amazing things happen as you remind yourself of these truths and you try to consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. Other times it takes two or three tries. Other times you feel like you're just holding on to the Lord, like Jacob in Genesis 32, I think, where he's wrestling with God all night long and God says, I've got to go. And Jacob says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. Sometimes you need to tell that to the Lord. Lord, I'm not going to let you go until you change my heart about this. Because if I let go of you, I'm going over there. And so, that's how you put it into practice. The solution is faith. The solution is faith. Oh boy, look at the time. That's our first point. God cleanses us through baptism. He cleanses us once through baptism. Our second point is that God cleanses us daily through confession. Through confession. This is the first John passage. Um, the, the question gets asked, and it's a good question. Why is it that we have to confess our sins if Jesus died for them all? Right? Jesus died for your sins, past, present, and future. That's what the gospel says. It says God buries your sin as deep, deeper than the deepest ocean, as far as the east is from the west, as far as the heavens are above the earth, right? He doesn't even remember them anymore. You've got a Bible verse that says that. So why do I have to confess my sins? It's a good question. Because the Bible says... No, I'm just kidding. No, there's a reason. Um, <clears throat> sometimes that's the only thing you have, but this is one of those times where it's not. Um, here's the answer. The reason we confess our sins daily is because God is interested in having an actual relationship with us. Okay? God is interested in being in a relationship with us. What that means is that God is interested in, in a relationship. I mean, think about the relationships that you have. Right? Um, and let me just... Well, yeah, when you 
hurt somebody in a relationship, there's something there, right? There's something there that needs to get dealt with. And until it gets dealt with, it sits there in the middle of you. Right? When we sin, the Bible says that our sins actually put blocks in our relationship with God. You, know, you think about, I mean, Psalm 66:18 says, If I harbor sin in my heart, God won't hear my prayers. Ouch. Ouch. 1 Peter 3 says, If husbands don't love their wives well, and live with their wives in an understanding way, their prayers will be hindered. Yikes! It's because this dynamic, what happens is, when we sin, we are saying, God, we don't want your way. We don't want your rule or your authority. We'd like to be over here. And God says, you know what? That's going to cut you off more and more from me. To live over here is not to enjoy the fullness of blessing that exists over here. And so we confess our sins because, I mean, really there's sort of two aspects of our relationship with God. There's the, are you in His family or not aspect. Okay, and if you've put your faith in Jesus, then you're in His family. Right, and baptism pictures that once-for-all transfer. But, you know, as we kind of wander back over here, we still belong here now. But we kind of wander over, right? And when we do this, we create these walls, and God says the way to get rid of these walls and bring you back is to confess your sins. I had a period in my life where, for three years, I cut myself off from my dad. I had no relationship with him. And it was interesting, because during those three years, I thought about him as my dad, but I didn't talk to him at all. You know, and... You know, I, I think that a lot of us live that way with God. You know, where you think about Him, you, you say you believe in Him, but you don't really walk with Him. There's no real relationship there. And that's not what God wants. Maybe you don't feel completely separated from Him, but you feel that sense that you know, when I say there's a block every time you go to the Lord, there's a block, there's something there. You, you know what that's like, right? I mean, I know for me... <laughs> When I sin, it seems like every time I want to go to the Lord in prayer, that thing is staring me in the face. It's like God is saying, Stephen, who are you trying to kid? You know that this is a real relationship here. Yeah, you can't just act like this didn't happen. And you know the pathway back. I'm like, yeah, Lord, but if I do that, then I've got to make amends here. And I, it's so hard. And the Lord just says, how much do you love me? I say, all right, you win. Okay, I'll confess it. <laughs> and... Um, and so that's that dynamic, and so that's why we confess. Okay, because though, for Christians, even though He is your Father, our sin can still separate us in terms of that relationship with Him. And so He's inviting us. And here's the joy when we confess our sins. 1 John 1 9 says, Two things happen. Okay, two things happen. You might not know that 1 John 1 9 says two things happen. That's why I put the AND in all capitals to separate the first thing from the second thing. The first thing is when we confess our sins, it says He's faithful and just to forgive our sins. Okay, so He forgives us. That's Christ on us. Okay? His blood cleanses us from sin and He brings forgiveness to us, right? So when we confess. 
Christ comes on us and our sins are forgiven. And He forgives us, not just because it's His job. Okay? Like sometimes, I don't know if you've thought this way, but sometimes people think, you know, God sent Jesus to die so that He would have to forgive you when you confess your sins. I mean, I've thought about that before. You know, when you go back to Him for the like 16,000th time for the same thing, Lord, I'm here again. And, you know, like my only hope is like, could you just... Get this, you know, it's it's awful, right? But and I think, well, but he sent Jesus. He didn't send Jesus so he'd have to forgive you. Okay, that's not his disposition. What happens is God so loves you that he sent his Son so that whenever you confess, he can welcome you back with open arms. That's the image. Like, think about. Um, I, I was, this is an amazing illustration of this is from there's a movie called Fireproof that's out. It was done by a church. It's a Christian movie, um, and it's about a marriage that is just awful. The guy and, and, and the wife, the, the husband and the wife, they're just really. Oh, it's like the perfect storm of disgusting, nasty relational awfulness. Okay, and the, the husband is a jerk. The wife's not much better. Um, but there's this amazing scene in the movie where the husband, God has been working on the husband. Okay, and there's this amazing scene where the husband goes into the bedroom. The wife is sitting on the bed reading, and the husband drops down on his knees next to the bed, and he begins to apologize. And what he does is he says, I have been an absolute awful husband. He says, I have committed adultery with you using the internet. I have yelled at you. I have verbally abused you. I have pushed you. I have been insensitive to you. I have done... And he just lists off this litany of things that are everything that he's done and even more than you see... What's amazing is that the camera like zooms in on the wife's face and there's this mix of, oh my goodness, what the heck is going on here? So there's a bit of that in her face, like this sort of shock. But then what comes through is this amazing sense of, oh my goodness, like he really understands. Like, he's not just apologizing in general for the things, for being a bad husband, but he really understands everything that he has been doing and how much it's hurt me. And she is just, she's moved. And she begins to weep. When we confess our sins to God, God is so delighted that we are finally saying the same things about our sins as He's been saying. That's what it means to confess. It just means to say the same thing about. You're just saying, God, I did this and it was wrong. God, I'm sorry that I did this, but it was wrong. When you do that, God's heart is, boy, I've been waiting so long for you to get to this point. Please come back and enjoy sweet fellowship and a relationship with me. I mean, the prodigal son preaches that, right? I mean, if you're not a Christian here, that can happen for you tonight. If you just say that to the Lord, Lord, I've been living apart from you way too long and I'm sorry. 
when you do that, God's disposition is to, he, he longs to forgive you. The second thing, though, in this is that He also cleanses you. The more specific you get with your confession, the more God's power will change you. Okay? The image here, these two things in 1 John 1 9, is that when we confess, He forgives the thing you did, but, it, but what you did came from a heart that wanted to do it, right? Because you wanted to do it. Your old self came back and, and there it was. When you confess your sins, He not only forgives what you did, but 1 John 1, nine says, And He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. That means that He reaches into your heart and kind of buffs out that part. That part of your heart that wanted to do it. And you're left with a cleaner heart. You're left with a... Uh, an amazing work of the Spirit of God that makes you less likely to do it again. Okay, And that's also why the more specific you get in your confessions, when you confess your sins more particularly, not just the what, but the why. Lord, I did this, but Lord, I also wanted to do this. I want to confess my desire also, not just what I did, but why I did it. When you confess those things, you give God a chance to work in both of those areas of your life. And it's amazing. It's really, really amazing. That cleansing of our heart, that's the Jesus in us. Okay? Jesus on us forgives our sins. Jesus in us then makes us not want to do it so much. Reminds us that that self is dead and helps us to live this person more and more consistently. So, God cleanses us daily through confession. And then our last point is He cleanses us weekly through worship. Cleanses us weekly through worship. On Sundays, when we do this cleansing stage of our service, we're going to do it right after the sermon today, um, we want you to experience these two things. That's what you're looking for. You're looking for Jesus on me and Jesus in me. You're looking to be reminded of your declaration of independence from sin. You're looking to be reminded that you've been transferred. That's who you were. This is now who you are. And then you're looking for God to forgive the sins you've committed and the heart that wanted to do them. And He'll forgive you and cleanse you. We want you to experience that every single week. And the hope is, that, well, it's partly it's because God doesn't want you going more than seven days. And so that's why we do that in the service. Because I know, if you're like me, sometimes you know, days go by and you just sort of you lose track and you just don't, you don't incorporate this into your walk with God. Now, I want to say that this is going to be something that we are going to alter about the Uptown service. Because okay? we've been doing this up to this point after the sermon. We're going to move it to before the sermon. Okay, we're going to move our confession of sin time to right after the first songs that we sing after the call to worship. Okay, there's some reasons why we're going to do that. Um, first, it's because when God renews covenants in the Bible, the cleansing stage always comes before the Constitution stage. The cleansing stage comes second. Okay, why? Well, there's a bunch of reasons. Because God wants the first thing that you hear from Him after He calls you into His presence to be grace. God wants you to know from the beginning of the service, when you walk into His presence, when you hear Him call you and you respond with praise, the next thing God wants you to hear is, your life with me is not based on your performance. 
I don't want you thinking that your relationship with me is based on your obedience, even to the sermon that you're going to hear. And so I want you, at the very beginning, to realize that salvation is by grace. It's by grace. It's not by works. You don't earn it. You don't, yeah, you don't have to do anything to receive it except to believe and trust in Jesus. Okay? And so God wants us to hear it first because it's that important. It's that, because that's how our relationship with Him works. He also wants us to hear it before the sermon so that we'll realize that we've already been forgiven when the sermon makes us feel guilty. Okay? Um, we've already been forgiven, okay? And so we're not standing and falling based on how well we've performed, okay? And so, so starting next week, we're going to be doing that cleansing portion of our service second, okay, before the sermon. And so what do we do? Well, in this time, we have an encouragement to confess. And at that point, whoever's up here reminds you this is why. We want you to remember why we do it, uh, and be encouraged to experience the cleansing aspect. Because it's easy to go through the motions, I know. And so we encourage you to confess by reminding you, this is why we're doing what we're doing. And then we confess. We confess together first. right? We have a prayer that we recite together. Or we all confess together. And that's a good thing for us. Because it reminds us that we're all in the same boat. We're all a family. We all have the same struggles. Not always the same sins, but we are all fallen people. And so, as you recite your confession, you realize you're among people who are in the same boat. There are no super spiritual people here. We're all at the foot of the cross, and the ground is level. Okay? Um, So we confess together. And then we also have a time where we confess silently, individually. Right? And that's because we all do struggle with different things. And we want to give you a time in the service where you just stop and can go before the Lord in the quietness of your own heart. And that gives you the opportunity. Any blocks that exist right, you know, in between you and the Lord, you can c- confess those things. And then we have God's response. And that's the assurance that comes. And that, for some people, that is the high point of the whole service. You almost want to enter into the drama of it each week. As we confess, you want to think, Lord, I'm confessing these sins. Would you please forgive me? I'm confessing these sins. Would you please forgive me? And just forget a little bit. You know, I mean, enter into the drama and forget whether or not he might. Okay, because then the next word that you hear is God saying to you, clearly from his word, that you are forgiven that your sins have been washed away and that He's making you new. That leads us then to respond with thanksgiving. We have a prayer of thanksgiving and because words aren't enough, we've got to sing. So we'll sing songs of mercy, songs that herald God for who He is. That's good news. That's, that's what we do and then why we do it. And the impact of this on the rest of our week, this does set the tone. If you come in here week after week and experience the cleansing love and power of God, it will change everything. It will change how you relate to Him every day of the week. And it will change how you relate to others. Because we pray it, right? Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And so this has an immediate impact. The idea is, you come in, You're ascending Mount Zion, right? Remember last week. You come into this place dirty, 
stained by the sins that you've committed, you experience God's cleansing love and power, and as refreshed, washed, renewed people, you then go back out, and you spread that gracious cleanliness to everyone that you see. Because if God has loved you this much, how much more should you love your neighbors? How much more should we love each other in this church? How much more should you husbands love your wives? How much more should wives love their husbands? Any relationship that you're in, at work, at home, in the community, this really will change everything about who we are as a people. All of this comes. You know, the doorway is baptism like we talked about. But baptism is a picture of being united to Jesus. If you are connected to Him, all of this is true for you. All of this is true about you. And so I would invite all of you to come. I invite all of you to to believe in Him, to trust in Him, and you will experience this washing, this cleansing, even tonight. Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You for this amazing work. We need Christ on us afresh, and we need Him in us. Lord, teach us how to experience this. Help us to go to you to pray Romans 6, verse 6 and 11 into reality. God, make this a reality for us. Help us to know what it is that we need to do to think, ways to act in order for us to experience this. Thank you that this is your word. It's you that's saying this. We believe it, Lord. We want to see it come true in our lives. Please make it so by your Spirit. And for those folks who are here tonight, Lord, would you touch them and help them see your cleansing power. Invite them back into your family so that they would experience your cleansing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.